Amen. He has been merciful. He is good. Bless his name. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. I want to ask you if you will, if you're able, if you'll stand with us this morning for just a moment as we read the Word of God. We don't often do this. Like anything else, anything can become a habit. But as I read these verses in Matthew 12, 22 through verse number 30 as you stand there this morning or if you're unable to stand I know within your heart you respect God's word I want you to do what we sang about a while ago I want you to behold your king and the power that he has as demonstrated in this text Matthew 12, 22, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You may be seated. We thank God this morning for the reading of His precious Word. In our text this morning, Jesus introduces, it is He who brings up the subject of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and he also brings up the subject of Satan's kingdom in verse number 26. And what he says in this verse is, If Satan drives out Satan, then he divides against himself. And how can any kingdom stand like that? A very logical question that Jesus gives that we'll look at in a moment. So Jesus attributes to Satan in our text this morning, a kingdom. Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom are opposites and they are at odds with one another. The good news of the gospel, the good news of the Word of God this morning is that Christ's kingdom is far stronger than Satan's kingdom. And he is able with his authority and with his power to overcome Satan and his kingdom 
anytime he chooses. If you'll notice in verse 29, Jesus said, How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, has been binding the strong man now for over 2,000 years. And it may look different to you if all that you look at is the kingdom of Satan. But Jesus said in this scripture that you must first enter into the strong man's house and bind him before you can take his spoils and take his goods. In spite of what we read and see in our world, in spite of what others say and think, the kingdom of God is moving forward. It's moving forward with violent opposition. It's moving forward with unusual satanic opposition. But yet it is moving forward. And as I said last Sunday, the gospel wins. If you read the Word of God, the gospel wins. Jesus will destroy every work of Satan, and He will destroy His kingdom forever. This morning, I want us to look at Matthew's account of the Pharisees and how they were opposed once again to our Lord's kingdom, and how they were opposed, and how they attributed the great miraculous power of Jesus to that of the devil. Verse 22 is very brief and to the point. Then was brought unto him, meaning Jesus, one possessed with a devil. In other words, they brought to our Lord, someone brought to our Lord, a demon-possessed individual. This demon-possessed man was both blind and dumb. He was unable to speak. And Matthew is very straight to the point. He says to us in verse 22 that Jesus healed this man, insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. Our Lord cast the demons out of this man, and also restored to this man his sight, and our Lord restored to this man his ability to speak. In other words, it looks like Matthew is going to tell us now that the confrontation against Jesus is over, that we've looked at for the past several weeks, that things have kindly calmed down, and now He tells us about this miracle, and then the miracle is over. Matthew tells us nothing more about it. He does not go into any more detail than that. This miracle, according to the text, is both astonishing and absolutely miraculous. Dr. Warren Wiersbe suggests that by this point in our Lord's ministry, that such healings had become commonplace. He also suggests that what Matthew is presenting here is just the fact of the miracle. And then he wants us to turn our attention to how this story absolutely turns to the bizarre. It turns to the very unusual. It's almost beyond thinking when you read what happens here. I mean, here is an individual that is absolutely uh, paralyzed in life. He cannot see, he cannot speak. He is possessed of the evil one, who, which basically means that he does whatever the evil one wants him to do. And our Lord, in His compassion and mercy, heals this man. 
He is now able to be free from that spiritual bondage, that demon possession, and he is now able to see and he is able to speak. And then Matthew gives us three reactions to the miracle of verse 22. In verse 23, he tells us about the astonishment or the amazement of the people. And then in verse 24, he tells us about the response or the opposition of the Pharisees. And then Matthew tells us in verse 25 through 30 about the answer that our Lord gives in response to what the Pharisees had said about this great miracle. Look with me first of all as we preach this morning on the two kingdoms. Look with me first of all at the amazement of the people. The amazement of the people concerning the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 23, And all the people were amazed. Meaning that after they saw this miracle, after they seen what our Lord did, they were amazed. And their answer was, in the form of a question, Is not this the son of David? Now our Lord had done miracles like this before. Even in Matthew's Gospel we have read about our Lord dealing with demons and with blindness. But apparently the people who are witnessing this had maybe not seen a miracle on this particular level for the Bible tells us that they were amazed. Literally it means they are beside themselves. They are out of their minds with uh, being overwhelmed at what they have just seen. They are astonished. One preacher that I read preaching from this text said the people were knocked out of their senses. And I think that's a fair assessment of what is happening here. It's not every day that someone blind and demon-possessed could actually see and be free of those demons. Demon possession was a very, a very common thing in that day, and the people knew that it was a hopeless case. You can read the story of the Gadarean in Mark chapter number 5. People knew that it was useless. They tried on that occasion to help that man, but he just got worse and worse. And of course, blindness was one of the worst things that could be in that day. It was nearly everywhere common, and it was something that was just looked upon as incurable or, or un, uh, un, no man had the ability to help in that situation. So now they see a man who is both demon-possessed and blind and cannot speak. They see Jesus release him from the bondage of those demons, open his blinded eyes, and now this man is talking. And so they're beginning somewhat to grasp what Jesus is claiming about Himself. But they do not say right out that Jesus is the Messiah. As you read verse number 23, we read it as a question in the King James text. It's not this the Son of David, but actually this, this statement is made in the negative. What it is really saying here is, as translated uh, in, a, in the New American Standard, translates it like this, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? Now they're not, they're not exactly casting him off, but they're not exactly, exactly believing it. They're standing there looking at it, and they're saying, Could he really be? Could this actually be? They're not saying it in the affirmative, it's more in the negative, but at least they are raising the question that what we have just witnessed must have happened or could possibly have happened from the promised seed of David, the Messiah, the one that we have read about in the Old Testament. And that's what makes it a dangerous question. At least they are considering the possibility, but they still yet have not been convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. 
They have just witnessed power, absolute power, over both the spiritual and the physical realm of life. In casting out the demon, Christ has shown His authority and power in the spiritual realm. In opening the blinded eyes and the, and the tight tongue, He has shown His power over the physical. He has demonstrated it just quickly and just powerfully. And yet men are still wondering if He really is the incarnate Son of God. Maybe they were afraid to just flat out admit it while standing there in front of the Pharisees. But I think their response in verse number 23 is something that every one of us ought to ask ourselves about this morning. You say, how can you stand in the presence of what, you, what Jesus had just accomplished in verse 22 and walk away and walk away without being absolutely certain that this is the Son of God? Well, let me ask a more, uh, a more relevant question, a more timely question of that. How can people sit in a church service like this on the Lord's Day and hear the gospel preached and still wonder if Jesus is the only Savior? How do men do that? It's a relevant question for us to ask this morning. It's possible to go to church all of your life and never embrace the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is the one God sent to bring us salvation. There's many people who are in churches today, churches just like this, who've been raised in it. And the only reason they believe it is because it's what they were taught. But they never really have embraced by faith the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only forgiver of sin, and He is the only way to eternal life. Do you believe that this morning? Do you live in the daily awareness of that? Do you live, as the children were singing a while ago, in a daily obedience to the Lord because of that? Or is it something that you just confess for an hour or two on every given Sunday, and yet the rest of your life, the rest of your week is given to yourself and what you want to do? Maybe you're sitting here this morning asking the same question. Well, it sounds like He's the Savior. Preacher, it sounds like what the choir and the children were singing about and what we sang about a while ago. It sounds like that is right. Have you ever believed that by faith? Have you ever truly embraced that by faith and know that He is your Lord, that He is your Master and your Savior? Do you recognize Him? Do you acknowledge Him? Do you manifest His Lordship in your life every day that you live? These are questions that Matthew presses home in this passage, and they're pressed home to us. Some 2,000 years later, we're faced with the same question, and only you can answer that. So there is the amazement of the people in response to what Jesus had done. And it's one thing to be amazed with the good songs about Christ, another thing to be impressed with a preacher's delivery of a sermon, but it's another thing to embrace Christ by faith and believe that He is who He said that He is. Notice with me secondly in verse 24 at the accusations of the Pharisees. Now here is where Wearsby says the story turns bizarre. But when the Pharisees heard it, when they heard it, maybe the questions they're hearing, the questions that these people are saying, they responded, they said, this fellow. In other words, the crowd is suggesting that he might be the Messiah. This might be the actual Son of God. So quickly the Pharisees say, Oh, what, what you saw, you saw. 
Yes, this man was possessed. He's free. This man was blind. He sees. This man was mute, but he speaks. They said, we don't deny that. But we want to tell you, what you saw here today was nothing more than a man who used the power of the devil and used the power of Satan in order to accomplish the miracle that you've seen. They will not concede. They will not confess. They will not say that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the amazement of the people turns to the accusation of the Pharisees. They could not deny the miracle. It was right there in front of their eyes. They acknowledged that He was performing miracles. They acknowledged that He was performing miracles with miraculous power. But instead of saying that He did that because He was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy which said He would do that, they suggested that His power was coming from another source, from Satan himself. You said, Preacher, is that not ridiculous? Well, let's look at it for just a moment. They said in verse 24, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, meaning he would have never been able to have done this on his own had he not been empowered, had he not received the ability through the evil one. They said he done it by Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is likely another name for the Philistine god Baal-zebud, which can be translated as Lord of the Flies. Now, when a Jew heard the word Beelzebub, it was a slang word for Satan, the prince of demons. As Jesus mentions here, the prince of the devils. It was a slang term, so that's why they used it. What they're doing is accusing our Lord of being a con artist, working undercover for the kingdom of Satan. Now, before you throw that out the window, let me remind you that the Pharisees, who knew the Old Testament very well, remembered the day of Moses. They remembered, according to Exodus 7 through 9, they remembered when the Egyptian magicians performed almost all of the same miracles that Moses performed. You should be aware of those stories. There were Egyptian magicians that were doing the very thing that uh, God had done miraculously through the hand of Moses. Of course, we know how all of that turned out, don't we? We know how Moses' rod, and when he threw it down, his, his rod overtook the others eventually. But they were able to duplicate to where men were not able to tell the difference. The Pharisees knew about that. And they knew, and they brought that up, and now accused Jesus of being, of operating and ministering in the power of the evil one. They were also very aware of Deuteronomy 13, where it was a serious matter when false prophets and workers of miracles were among God's people. Now, if you remember, I read to you just a few, I think a week ago, where it says in verse 14 of Matthew 12, that the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. They are not in this story to affirm Jesus. They are not in this story to magnify His great name. They are not in this story to, to praise the name of God for sending His Son and the miraculous power that He has to change life. They are here to destroy Christ, and they will even attribute the miraculous power of delivering demons, opening eyes, and loosing tongues, they are willing to attribute that to the devil rather than recognize Jesus for who He really is. Now you are reading and hearing and looking at 
two kingdoms that are opposite. Christ has come to bring to man the kingdom of God. And Satan in his kingdom is doing everything he can to keep men in his kingdom of darkness. While I am preaching this morning and other men are preaching around our county and around in our city and missionaries are standing around the world and men are on street corners and chaplains are in prisons delivering the word of God. There is the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God that is in opposition and Satan will do anything he can and this lost world will do anything they can to keep men from believing that Christ is the one who can take a man in the kingdom of darkness and translate him into the kingdom kingdom of the Son of God. He'll work any way he can. And these Pharisees stoop to an all-time low. Why do they accuse Jesus of healing by Satan's power? What is going on in their minds to come up with such a thought? Well, it comes from several facts. It comes, first of all, from the fact that in their mind, they're right and everyone else is wrong. Now, it's always dangerous Whenever you have that mindset about anything, especially about Jesus Christ, but when you have that mindset, it is dangerous when you think you are the only one right about anything in life. You are in a bad situation. And brother, that is something that is predominant here in our country, both inside and outside the church. People think they're right about Everything, that is pharisaical in nature. Even the great apostle Paul, when he is sitting in prison, writing to the Philippian church, he no doubt heard men outside preaching Jesus, and they didn't preach in the same methodology, or maybe preach things exactly like Paul thought they ought to be preached. But you know what he said? He said, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. Paul said, I may not go preach for that man, and he may not come and preach for me, but he said, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. It is very pharisaical whenever you think that you're right about everything and everyone else is wrong. Therefore, anyone who disagreed with these Pharisees was, by definition, wicked and sinful. Since Jesus, secondly, the reason they're thinking like this is because this man who just worked this miracle had broke their rules. He had broke their Sabbath day rule. He had broke the rule of eating corn, his disciples on the Sabbath. And he had broke the rule of healing on the Sabbath. And they were not going to tolerate that. They were convinced that he had to be wicked because he was living in opposition to them. Now, the Pharisees were right when they concluded that power to cast out demons, power to heal blind eyes and open the lips of a speechless person could only come from a supernatural source. They were right in that. But they were wrong when they concluded that Jesus was not that source and that He did not have that power because He had went against their rules and declared Himself to be Lord. They were wrong in that. And any man today listening to my preaching and listening to the Word of God above my preaching, when you think there could be any other way to heaven other than Jesus Christ, you are wrong. When you think there is any salvation other than in His name, you are wrong. Not because I said that, but because that is what the Word of God says. The prophets said He would come. The prophets said that He would heal. The prophets said that He would open the blinded eyes. He would give sight to the blind. He would open deaf ears. He would take control over demonic power. Thank God He did it right in front of them. But their religious fervor 
anchor and their religious anchor is so attached that they're willing to take this miraculous act of God's compassionate love and attribute that to the very devil himself. That ought to tell you how dangerous organized legalistic religion is. Do you see in this text how far man will go to defend his own self-righteousness? To defend his spiritual status? To defend his religious authority? They're attributing the work of Almighty God to the devil. And I want to tell you again, the descendants of these Pharisees are alive and they are active today in religious circles. They're active in fundamentalism. They're active in conservatism. They're active in liberalism. They're active in reform circles. They're active in every circle there is where Jesus' name is preached. But the good news of the gospel, and the good news is, thank God the gospel wins. And no matter how men oppose His kingdom, thank God His kingdom wins. And notice with me our Lord's answer. And He tells us how. So the people are amazed. And they ask negatively, could this be the Son of God? The one David was promised, the one that David taught, could this be Him? And the Pharisees heard that and they said, now wait a minute. We don't deny that what you, you saw, what you saw was real. But we want you to know that it was by the power of Satan that Jesus did these things. And Jesus, verse 25, knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Our Lord wasted no time addressing the Pharisees' charge that His divine power came from Satan. Once again, verse 25, he knew their thoughts. That doesn't mean that he just knew what they were thinking. It means he knew the inner heart that helped produce that type of thinking. He knew their deep-seated opposition to him. And he knew how they were operating to destroy him. And Matthew records this because he wanted everyone, including us this morning, who reads his gospel to know that Jesus is omniscient. And, to know, and he wants to remind us that it doesn't matter what you're doing on the surface today. He knows what you're thinking about him, about his word, about his church, about his person, about everything that he does. Jesus knows what you and I are thinking about those very things. He has the power to know the inner attitude of our heart. As I said earlier, it is Jesus who now brings up the subject of the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. He brings that up in verse number 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom. And then He talks about uh, His kingdom, Satan's kingdom, in verse 26. And He talks about the kingdom of God. It is Christ who brings this up. He wants you and I to understand that He was here upon earth, and while He was here preaching the gospel of the kingdom and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel of truth, that the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of evil was in opposition to Him. And although our Lord is seated at the right hand of God the Father this morning, awaiting His return, His kingdom still prevails even as we are in an age when it looks like the kingdom of evil is going to prevail. Jesus, 
According to verse 25, he spoke about the kingdom of Satan, just as he often spoke about the kingdom of God. And this theme comes up again and again in Scripture. Our Lord referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. Paul speaks in Ephesians of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. Paul speaks in Ephesians 6 about rulers of darkness. It is The kingdom is still operating in this world. However, the realms are not equal by any means. Don't think for a moment that Satan is going toe-to-toe with God and we don't know who's going to win. No, Satan is no match for God. This is no no David and Goliath situation here. This is Almighty God against the defeated foe, his defeated foe, which is Satan himself. There is an intense battle between the two kingdoms, but there's no neutral ground. He tells us that in the text. Every one of us sitting in here this morning is in one kingdom or the other. We are loyal to one kingdom or the other. If you are not in the kingdom of God by the new birth, then there's only one other kingdom you can reside in today, and that is the kingdom of the evil one. But I want you to notice how Jesus answered this question. Now, He has miraculous power in verse 22, but notice how He answers this in verse 25 and 26. He answers it, first of all, by using common sense and reason. Everything our Lord did did not have to be miraculous. He used common sense. Listen to what He said. Every kingdom, verse 25, divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan is casting out Satan, or in other words, if I'm, if I'm healing this man and casting demons out of him by the power of Satan, if I'm dividing Satan's kingdom, how in the world is Satan's kingdom going to stand? Folks, that's common sense. That's just good reason. Why would Satan allow Jesus to free people from demonic control? You say, yeah, but preacher, Satan deceives Satan, uh, he, he, he comes as an angel of light. Yes, he does. 2 Corinthians 11 says that he does. But you will never find where he casts himself out and divides himself against his own. He doesn't do that. Common sense, reasoning, our Lord asked them. His point is, Satan is capable of deceiving, tricking, playing a con game with people But what he's saying is, you are misunderstanding my power and what I am doing to Satan's kingdom. You won't confess that what I just did here come from the power of Almighty God that He has given me. It is my power that casts Him out, and you will not admit that. He's using common sense and reason. But note, listen, 1 John 3, 8, the Apostle John tells us this, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And thank God that is still happening while you and I are standing here this very moment. Well, I didn't see anything happen the day at church. I didn't see it. What you mean is you didn't see what you wanted to see happen. You don't know how many people are sitting here today thinking something. And the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, they received that truth and it changed the way they think about certain things. God's always advancing His kingdom. So He answers by using common sense. Secondly, verse 27, He answered by using the inconsistency of their argument. 
And if I by Beelzebub, verse 27, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now that's interesting. If, in other words, if I'm doing what I'm doing by the power of the devil, what if one of your, I'm going to call them many disciples, not M-A-N-Y, but M-I-N-I, many, one, of, one of your little clones, one of your little clone Pharisees, if they come running back to you and tell you something miraculous that happened and they were there to present their opinion about something and something miraculous happened, Jesus is saying to them and asking them, uh, to whom will you attribute their power? In other words, he said, to you, he said, Pharisees, if one of your followers runs back to you, your group, and says, hey, I got this happened or that happened, you know, Jesus is saying to them, are you going to contribute, attribute what they did to the devil? Why, no. That's what, that's what he means when he says, he says to them, therefore they shall be your judges. He knew they wouldn't do that. They would say, hey, those people changed because the, of the power of Phariseeism or whatever, however they would have expressed it. So Jesus is using the inconsistency of their argument. His point to the Pharisees is, Jesus' point is, the Pharisees said that His power came from the devil, devil, but if one of their guys did something powerful, then it was automatically from God. That's inconsistent. And Jesus said it won't stand. Thirdly, He says in verse 28, He answers with a word of clear evidence. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Boom. Jesus said, if what, I, if what you just saw me done, if what you just saw me do, and it was done by the power and the Spirit of God, then you have to confess the kingdom is here. The kingdom is standing in front of you. I am here. I am the Son of God. I believe what I believe today because of the Word of God, and so should you. But I'm going to say this also. Brother, I've seen change lives. I've witnessed just like these people. And the witness should not bring about a negative question. It should bring about a shout of affirmation. This is God. It has to be God. As a matter of fact, go outside this evening. An hour later than you did a few weeks ago, but go outside this evening. Look up into the heavens at the creative work of God and tell me how it can be anybody but God. Look at the evidence of changed lives. I'll, I'll refer often to the blind man over there in John, in John 9. Where, bless his heart, and I say that, he wasn't a southerner, so he wouldn't know what I mean, but if he'd have been around here, he would have. I say bless his heart. He, he didn't know a lot about theology. He didn't know the depths of anything in regard to that. But he said this, and it's always stood out to me. Merle Tenney pointed it out years ago in his book on the gospel of belief. And I underlined it, and I, I'm always fascinated by his testimony. He, he said, you guys can argue about sin and all this stuff. But he said, I, I'll tell you this. This morning when I got up, I was blind. And that man right there opened my blinded eyes. And this is what Jesus is saying here, a word of clear evidence. If what you just seen me do, I actually did, and you seen me do it, and the argument that you gave, I've just bloated out of the water, then you must confess that Messiah is here, and the kingdom is here. It's already come. It's already come. He said, the kingdom is come unto you. 
Luke says it this way in Luke's account, verse, chapter 11, verse 20. But if I with the finger of God, and the finger of God in that text is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. The point Jesus is making here is He has the ability, as Matthew 8, 16 says, with a word to cast out the power of the enemy. And the kingdom of God was present just as John the Baptist said it was, the forerunner of our Lord, and just as Jesus had preached it, it had come. We live in a world of doubt. We live in a world of questions. We live in a world of opposition to our Savior and the gospel. But hear the word of God this morning. The kingdom of God is come unto you. Clearly, in verse 28, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, the New Testament teaches the kingdom of God began with the entrance of Jesus in the world. He is now at the right hand of the Father. He is crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. But His kingdom is not yet finished. We still have a future hope, the return of our Lord when all things will be given over to Him. In the world in which we live, Satan is presently still powerful, but his power is limited, his doom is sealed, and his time is short. And anytime I make the statement about his power being limited, I know those of you that were under here for many years, under Preacher Lockie's ministry, we remember the illustration he used to use about the bulldog that chased him on his, on his milk route. You remember that? He told that many times until the owner told him that he was chained. And I remember Preacher Lockie saying, the next day I delivered milk, I got about five feet from the chain as far as he could go and stuck his tongue out at him. I want to tell you, Satan is presently powerful, but his power is limited. I made a statement here in the 80s, preaching at the Bible conference one day, and it just came back to my mind. If Satan ever lands on your runway, understand this, he got clearance from God's tower to do it. He did. We should know that from the book of Job. I want to tell you, his doom is sealed, and his time is short. We are, on the positive side, we say we're getting closer to the return of our Lord, and that is absolutely true. It's always good to rejoice in that. But I tell you, the shortness of Satan's kingdom of darkness is looming too. Cheer up, child of God. It won't be much longer. Christ wins. The gospel wins. And I close by just referring you to the illustration. Jesus gave them another illustration in verse 29. He basically says this, If you're going to go rob a man's house, a strong man's house, and you're going to go in and steal his, uh, steal his, well, I don't know if you broke in a house nowadays, he could have $1,000 laying on the dresser and people would probably steal his cell phone but, or his iPad. But if you go into a man's house and he's got riches, Jesus says, you're never going to get in there and out unless you first bind that strong man. You've got you to bind the opposition before you're free to take away. If someone wants to rob, he must first overcome 
the strong man. Jesus was saying the man who was under demonic control, blind and mute, had been under the possession of the strong man, Satan. But Jesus said, I bound him. I plundered him. He took care of it. And he can do the same today. How many times during a week do you sit and talk about situations in your family, people you know and love, who are going through things that it just seems like there is no answer to? I don't know a lot about the counseling world, but I promise you any counselor today, if you would bring them here and they would sit down and you would ask them if they know Christ, they would tell you that the myriad of problems they listen to and the, and the amount of people they deal with on a daily basis, the answer to all of it is Jesus Christ and Him alone. I dare say there's any family sitting here today that what you don't have things in your family that are beyond your control. And it looks as if Satan has won. It looks as if his dark kingdom is prevailing. And he does have power and he does have force. But he's no match for Jesus. Whatever you're praying about, whatever you are seeking deliverance from, whatever thing that you need to be liberated from and need His help with, understand this from this story this morning. While Christ was talking about something much larger in comparison of the kingdoms, it is also applicable to each of our lives as well. And as you leave in just a few moments, remember that there's no neutral ground Jesus said in verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, If you, if you are not with me here, you're against me. If you are not on board with what I am preaching and teaching, Jesus said, and with who I am, then understand this, you are against me. Two kingdoms. Jesus dealt with them in this text. The kingdom of God's a massive subject. It's a subject I've never mastered. It's a subject I have trouble understanding. I remember Dr. Riding saying here at the Bible conference years ago, he was reading a text where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the two different phrases was mentioned. I remember Dr. Riding saying that day, he said, I don't have the ability to tell you everything about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and he said, I imagine if I did, we wouldn't have the ability to understand what I said. And I feel the same way. There is a universal aspect to God's kingdom. Jesus, when He said to Nicodemus in John 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He's referring to that kingdom of salvation. That kingdom where Christ is Lord of your heart and life. I do believe we are bound for the kingdom. I do believe that. I do believe the Word of God teaches that. But I believe the kingdom is also here. It came when Jesus arrived and it stood right in the very presence. He was God in the flesh and He brought about the kingdom. How do I know that? Because of the many evidences of His mighty power. Because of His fulfillment of prophecies concerning Him. We live in a world of darkness, in a kingdom of darkness, in chains and bondage. Colossians said that He has translated us from, His, from darkness, from the world of darkness, into the kingdom of His dear Son. If you're not in that kingdom this morning, if you're not one of His, 
If you don't belong to Him this morning, you must be born again. And when you are born again, regenerated by His power, and call upon Him in faith believing, then you too can be translated. No matter how religious people are, no matter how active people are, no one, no one can enter the kingdom without experiencing the personal regeneration of the new birth. It has to happen, and only God can do it. Our God is victorious. I'm not where Matthew 12, 22-30 took place. You and I are not there literally. We're not there physically today. But thank God we've been taken there by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And I don't want to walk out of here today and say with the people, with a, with a question in my mind, could this be Christ? If you have that in your heart and mind today, my calling, my purpose in preaching the Word of God is to tell you He is the Son of God. And my purpose and my calling and my duty as God's servant is to bid you repent of your unbelief and call upon His name and come to Him in faith believing. And for those of us who have believed and do know Him and have been regenerated and have received the new birth and have believed the gospel and we are now citizens of that kingdom as we're living in a world where opposition is still against us, don't be discouraged and don't be cast down. Thank God the gospel wins. Christ came to destroy and that's exactly what will be. The old time preachers used to say, I've read the last chapters, and the devil ain't in on it. That was their great theological way of saying, God once, finally, and forever took care of the enemy, and His kingdom will be destroyed. But thank God, of His kingdom, there shall be no end. John's going to come and lead us in a congregational number, before we leave this morning, Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You, Lord, for the truth. So many things in regard to Your kingdom that, Lord, I don't have the ability to preach or explain. But I pray He, the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, the one who resides in the hearts of every believer sitting here today, I pray He, the great teacher, the great comforter, the great guide, Lord, would give the truth to each and every heart as they need it today. And Lord, if there's any in this service this morning who is still living in the kingdom of darkness, who is still under the rule and the reign of the evil one, oh Lord, I pray for the power of the regeneration of God. I pray for the new birth. I pray for a change of life. I pray, Father, for faith to believe. I pray they would respond in obedience and call upon Your name and be saved and help all of us who know You today to rejoice in our Savior, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of David. You came, Lord, You conquered. You destroyed the works of the devil. And we thank You for what You're doing now, what You're going to do in the days ahead. And thank You, Lord, that one day we shall rule and reign with You forever and forever because of Your death, burial, and resurrection. Help us to leave here today rejoicing in victory in a Savior's love. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.